Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99 at participating U.S. restaurants. Price may vary. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, Mark Henry, Bully Ray, and I talk about the life and career of one of the great, iconic men in the history of of pro wrestling. And I'm talking about Antonio Inoki, who at the age of 79 departed us this past weekend. And we talk about it at length. And we have two amazing guests to reflect some great stories about this iconic wrestler. Sonny Ono joins us and also Eric Bischoff. And you do not want to miss this episode, this very special episode of the busted open podcast. If we're going to talk about Antonio Inoki, we got to talk to Sonny Ono and Antonio Inoki, one of the greatest figures in the history of pro wrestling, one of the greatest figures in the history of Japan. So what are some moments and memories that you first think of when you hear the name Antonio Inoki? Well, of course, I, you know, I got to meet um, Mr. Inoki through um, um, Eric Bischoff and trying to rekindle our relationship with New Japan. Um, and and uh, uh, I think it was like 93, 94. And, and uh, one of the things that I really remember was, um, uh, you know, how generous he was. I mean, he's, he's quite the figure. I don't know if you guys ever met him, but he's, he's stature and, and uh, you know, he's, he's quite the guy and, yeah. and amazingly respected. You know, he's, uh, I was talking to one of my friends from Japan. And he says, he's, he's, he's almost like, you know, when he passed away, it was, it was almost like Pope had died. You know that 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 he he's so much beyond pro wrestling. He was a great politician. He was um, he, he was a member of a diet in Japan, which is kind of like a senator. And and you know he tried to use his position. His, his, his and he did all those peace festivals. If you remember all those, you know, like in '96, um, uh, we met with him, and I think Eric and I got to meet with him in L.A. And he, he had a, uh, we had a private meeting with him. Um, I think that that meeting, that invitation um, got us, you know, probably no one here will probably know till now is Chris Jericho, um, uh, Ultimo Dragon. You know, we were introduced to those guys through Mr. Inoki. And, you know, uh, Eric talks about um, how important the cruiserweight was to to Nitro, a television show, and you know that's when uh, we started the relationship 
because as you know, doing business in Japan is all about relationship. You know, you can have a better product. You can be the better wrestler. Um, you're not going to get it. You're not going to work there unless you have a relationship. And most of you guys know that. Um, yeah. and, and that's the beginning of our relationship. And because of our relationship, that's why New Japan and WCW had such a success. You know, and, and uh, um, be, through that, we got Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, and Eddie Guerrero into WCW fold, which is the, which is the you know, genesis of our cruiserweight division. Sonny, did, when you met uh, Mr. Anoki the first time, did they give you the, um, uh, the, the how do you greet him like they did us, where they say, hey, you can bow, but extend your hand, but don't put your hand in his hand? Or, or extend your hand to him, like you, you just bow and put your, and he'll shake your hand. Yeah, no, I, you know they didn't actually smarten up us on any of that. They just kind of expected us to know, <laughs> you know, that he was that figure, you know. Um, um, <laughs> they but, gave us the speech, brother. <laughs> They're like, you, you gotta guys... respect this man, and I don't care. You bow your head and you put your hand out, and he will come and <laughs> greet. Do not take your other hand and touch the top of his hand. Do not. Yeah. Like, they talk to us like children. Yeah, yeah. And I, well, was, kinda, I was like, yeah, wow. kinda, And, you know, that kind of leads to the, the, the you know, the, the, you know, because of Antonio Inoki and, and relationship with Eric, um, we got to go to North Korea, you know. We, we, um, that came about because Inoki reached out to Eric. Well, actually, Masa Saito did. And, and, uh, um, uh, Masa Saito reached out to Eric because we had a, such a great relationship and we we're great friends actually, and uh, that led to Eric mentioning that that uh, he he had a contact with Muhammad Ali, and of course Inoki was working on with Kim Jong Il, the North Korean leader, to 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 go to North Korea for pro wrestling show, and and uh, um, you know despite we were being told that don't go there. You may not come back. So, uh, but you know, we, we were we were young. We just said, when, when's, the, when's the chance we're gonna get to go to North Korea? Um, and we went and and uh, got Muhammad Ali involved, and you know, with, with Eric's contact, and that that's how we went. And and uh, you know, it's it's one of the things that I could never, you know. What, what, Sonny, wasn't it a wasn't it a case of um, there was like tension between? Anoki uh, and Ali, and they wanted to kind of mend the fences or something like that. I, I think so. I remember meeting with uh, Eric. Set up a meeting in Denver with Mr. Anoki and his entourage and Ali's entourage, and and uh, um, we we met, and that's when Mr. Anoki invited uh, Ali, who was also you know kind of using his sports figure and his 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 position to uh, um, you know to create friendlier relationship with some of our uh, adversary, you know, political adversaries or countries. And, and um, um, you know, Ali just said, you know, Mr. Ali said, yeah, you know, North Korea, I'm in. And, and uh, um, you know, rest is the history, really. It was a pretty amazing wow. thing, you know. Sonny, we're talking about Antonio Inoki and his influence outside of the ring right now. Yeah. Talk to me about Antonio Inoki inside the ring. What type of professional wrestler was he? Well, you know, he really loved um, 
you know, he, he's, he's an old timer, as you know, and, and he believed in kayfabe and he believed in, in, in giving the fan the realism, a fighting spirit, you know, as you know, um, um, and, and father of a strong style, right? So he, you know, he believed in making wrestling real as possible. And you would know that, you know, more than anybody else. And, and uh, he just didn't tolerate anything, anything beneath that. You know, um, he has amazing match with Masa Saito. He had an amazing feel with Masa Saito, as you know, it was an Olympian, 64 Olympian, great friend of ours. And and uh, if you go back in history, he, he had amazing, you know, bloody matches. And and um, he he ended, which as you know, <laughs> and uh, I think it's over went to over two hours on the island. Which is a reenactment kind of thing of uh, a great two warriors in Japanese samurai history of uh, Sasaki Kojiro and everybody know Miyamoto Musashi. And, and he was kind of that, you know, they went to the same island and wrestle all over the island for you talk about, you know, you guys going outside the ring and doing, doing you know, those matches. These guys went all over the island for over two hours. I think it's one of the longest matches probably in history. And so, you know, you asked what kind of person, he believed in realism, you know, he, he wanted, and, and one of the things that Rikido done and, and, and taught uh, uh, Giant Baba and Inoki-san was that giving, you know, you got to remember the, the, the political climate was, you know, Japanese was coming, you know, after the war being defeated. Um, and they wanted to give spiritual strength, uh, you know, uh, they wanted the Japanese to be proud about, and, and one of the things that professional wrestling allowed them to do that was, you know, being able to take some of the, the great American wrestlers and bring them to US and, and, and uh, you know, defeating them. And that was, that would give the Japanese the great spirit, you know, and, 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 and that, I think that goes into, you know, it's kind of goes into his political point of view, you know, um, he gave more more to Japanese, not Japanese fan, but Japanese citizens, more of a spirit that yeah we, we can we can compete and we can win. You know, Sonny, and and this is a question I've asked before, but for our audience that may be listening for a first time, and maybe doesn't understand or know a lot about uh, Japanese wrestling, when you mention strong style and fighting spirit, can you explain what that is for our fans? I, I think what, like I, I said earlier, I think what it is, is, is that within a context, because you guys tell stories, you know, I'm not a wrestler, I'm not, I'm not a performer like you guys are, with your body, with your blood, sweat, and tears, you guys tell story, and within the context of, of the ring, or, you know, performance, and <coughs> one of the things that Mr. Inoki always has, um, and, and you can still see this, in, in, you know, in, in Japanese wrestling in general, is that first of all you got to believe in what's going on you know it is suspended reality but you you, you know and, and within that story whether you overcome or you know and, and become a victor and share that victory with the fans i think that's one of the things and and you can't have with it when you're telling that story you want to make it real as possible and and I think that's what that's what strong style is, you know, make it make it real as possible. And sometimes it was real, as you know. Sonny, I, I 
as a fan of of strong style uh there was a time when i didn't know much about it and then when i got to louisville in 90 uh 91 and i, I was introduced to it um man I, I i saw that the honor uh in all not only victory but the honor in losing and i had never i had never succumbed to the fact that man it's not it's okay to lose as long as you respect the process and you get up and you shake that man's hand and as they're departing your handshake you say i i want another shot <laughs> and and that guy goes okay let's do it Let, and 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 that had never seeped into my brain as far as what you would do in a fight because where i grew up you lost a fight you kind of hung your head walk off and that was it you know but like the fighting spirit was like no i i lost but i'm not done right i want i'm going to come back and avenge the fact that i lost and you get respect from that and i oh, absolutely. Man, i just i just love the japanese culture when it comes to what i learned from um from from the the the, the japanese style of wrestling and the psychology the japanese psychology is is immense i i'm not so much into the okay i can take as much pain as you can take <laughs> i'm not into that bully no <laughs> don't chop me i'm not chopping you you're not chopping me i'm not chopping we're not doing that but i still respect it you know i i sonny tell me what you think about this when i think about japanese strong style i think sometimes people get confused this is not like like mark was saying this is not about how hard i can hit you or how hard you can hit me it reminds me of that what what rocky balboa once said about it's not about how hard you can hit it's about how hard you can get hit get knocked down and get back up again it's the art yeah. of selling it's the art of never giving up it's the art yes. of always having that internal strength and that heart and that passion and never wanting to let yourself or your fan base down and always getting Preach. back to your feet and showing the struggle on your face that no matter how much pain you are in, you will still fight until the last breath is in your lung. I, I, you're Ooh. absolutely right. It, 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 like I said, you guys, what, you know, what people don't really realize, I mean, most, most professional wrestling fans don't realize is what you guys do in a ring is, has always amazed me. You know, I mean, you guys could dislike each other quite a bit and still go in the ring and perform, you know, and, and, and do your work. And, and that always, that mentality, the professional wrestling as a profession, that mentality always amazed me. Reason being what I say is because, you know, I was a kickboxer, I, I competed, and, and, you know, what you guys do is you put yourself in a harm to a person who may not like you, <laughs> or who may dislike you quite a bit, you know. Trust. And it, it always amazed me the trust that you have amongst, amongst, if I can say, a worker or amongst the athletes, you know, which is totally contradictory to Mark Rattis' this because he competed in weightlifting and, and, and powerlifting. You know, it, it's pretty amazing, right? Because if you out there, when you're kickboxing, you know, I mean, I'm dreaming about guys' head blowing up the night before, you know, um, and I, I'm I'm trying to tr try to eliminate him, as you know, look at look at the guy across from me as as enemy that who wants to try to destroy me, much as I want to destroy him, 
you know, it's totally contradictory to that, what you guys do. And yet you guys perform that. You guys transcend that to the audience, which is an amazing thing to do, you know, I think. And, and so I have respect, respect of the business guys. too, Sonny, is, is you yeah. put the business before your own personal gain. And, and yeah. that's, that, that's kind of like what Bully was just saying with the fighting spirit. Like to, to honor something and to respect something and to recognize that as being more important than you are. Yeah. And is, you also have to remember there's, it's there's hard actually, to do, but it, it happens. There's actually a video out there. I, I forgot who, I think it was, I'm trying to think it was, it was a, a blonde hair, heavy set guy who fought Inoki in the early days. It's, it, I, I forget his name, but you know, he, he went in a ring and then wasn't working. He, he wasn't selling anything Inoki threw out there. He, you know, and you got to remember there's language barrier to begin with, you know, but that's how the match was going to go was I'm sure it was given. And, and he wasn't respecting the art. He wasn't respecting the performance. Are you talking about the great Antonio? Well, that great Antonio is the blonde. Yeah. Great Antonio guy. wasn't blonde, that's for sure. Great Antonio was a mess. Was it the guy the guy that looked ve like very messy with a big belly? Yeah, yeah. Antonio yeah. went off on him. Yeah, that Inoki was the went great off on Antonio. Him. Yes. Okay. And 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 there was you know, minute when Inoki figured out what was going on, he says, "Okay, we'll we'll make it real," and he did, you know. Um, so honor and respect for the business. Absolutely. And and I and I will tell you, Inoki, Inoki, if Great Antonio didn't do what 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 he did, you know, he was dis disrespectful. So Inoki said, Inoki said, okay, this is how it's going to end. <laughs> and he, you know, he was, he was, you know, he's a quite. And first of all, he really believes in. Remember, after New Japan, he he did the the UWF uh, the the Inoki, uh, Bambaya thing where he did the, actually took. A lot of New Japan athletes and did the, the shoot MMA stuff. Wasn't that called IGF? Yes, it was IGF, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so he believed in martial art. You know, he he uh he was also a student of uh, great Masayama, uh Kyokushinkai karate. And uh, the Masayama is a guy who known for you know the, the, the chopping the bone's horn and and in a field in <laughs> in Japan. But um he he believed in all that stuff. And and and, uh, and and rightly so, you know. And and he want, you know, it's it's really what he has accomplished as as a, as a member of a diet, and and a, as as a figure, a great figure, great. What Japanese needed, at the time, um, I think he accomplished all that, you know. Sonny, how, how do you think that Anoki will be remembered? Uh, throughout time you know what he did was new japan um and created professional wrestling to another level you gotta remember when when uh, ricky dozan the father of of japanese wrestling a two top student being inoki and and baba and and uh um when, when inoki went off and, and started new japan you know he had a vision and his vision was what, what Ricky Dodan said, you know, he wanted to make it as realistic as possible. So the fan would know the difference. And, and, and you got to remember back when they all started, you know, it was really kayfabe, you know, it was, um, they didn't, 
you know, you, I'll give you a perfect example. This, this is at the Tokyo Dome show. Um, Gray Hase is, was wrestling, um, I think it was Ric Flair. And, and, and he just gotten married like that year or a year before. And I remember, of course, we met her earlier um, in a week. But I remember her running around the outside of the uh, uh, corridor of, of the arena. And, and, uh, and I ran into her, and she had just tears. I mean, just bawling. And, and, but she was happy to Hase's performance, although, although he was not you know, victorious. And she, she came to me, and she said, and, and passionately, she says, oh, he was so close. He almost won. And she was just bawling, you know. I'm going to ask Sonny one last question. Please go right ahead. About North, about North Korea. Sonny, did you feel safe there or were you truly worried? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, when you, when you have U.S. government and Japanese government telling me, calling me up and saying, hey, we cannot protect your safety. Don't you, we don't recommend you go in the strongest term. That's how they, how they put it, you know. And for me, you know, I've been to South Africa doing apartheid. Um, you know, it was experience. And my thought was, when am I going to get opportunity to go? Never. But with Mr. Inoki being, you know, inviting us, they printed his money while we were there. On their currency, he had his picture on their currency. Wow. So, wow. you know, it, wow. that's how much clout he had. You know, there was a stamp oh, with his oh. picture <laughs> over there. Again. I mean, it was, it's like, you know, you really got to do something to really mess yourself up. And they also told us, you know, listen, you're going to North Korea. They're listening to everything you say, so watch, you know, P's and Q's. All right, Sonny, we're gonna we gotta get you back on. We we we're gonna the yeah, next you, time we you get you on, we're gonna, to, on. we're gonna have to give you an hour here on this <laughs> show. Your question, we didn't yes, get to I, talk I, bad I, about I, Ernest I, Miller. I we didn't get to talk bad about Ernest, so you gotta <laughs> you gotta come Ernest, back. Ernest can't go back to North Korea. He he can't. He he would never no. come back. <laughs> this is Jimmy Smith, voice of WWE Monday Night Raw and host of Unlocking the Cage on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156. And I'm here to let you know that Unlocking the Cage is now available as a podcast. That's right. You'll get my take on the trending stories in combat sports and interviews with some of the biggest names in the fight game. I'm bringing you shows every Tuesday through Friday. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app free for most subscribers. Eric, good morning, and thank you so much for the time today. Hey, good morning to you guys. It's always a pleasure to, to be with you. Thank you for the invite. Eric, do you remember the first time you ever met Antonio Inoki, and what was that moment like for you? Yeah, I think it was uh, probably late 93, early 94. I'd been doing business uh, with New Japan uh, for a little while at that point, really trying to rebuild that relationship because it had the relationship between WCW and, and New Japan had suffered uh, quite a bit. There were some business issues between Bill Watts and New Japan. So I had to kind of fix that. Uh, and the, the initial relationship with New Japan was very tentative. I didn't meet uh, Antonio Inoki back then. Um, I was dealing primarily with uh, Masa Saito and uh, Mr. Baisho. Baisho uh, was kind of in charge of the business of New Japan business. Masa Saito was really um, the primary contact for bringing American wrestlers into Japan. And I was dealing primarily with Masa Saito at that point. But once the trust level got to a certain point, um, that's when I met Antonio Inoki. And he was just, uh, God, how would I describe that first meeting? Just, he was very gracious. 
uh, I hate to use the word elegant, but I can't think of a different word right now. He just, the way he carried himself, he had so much charisma, class and professionalism that uh, he, he didn't try to intimidate. He wasn't trying to make sure I understood who he was in the big scheme of things with regard to the relationship with WCW New Japan. He was just a very classy gentleman. It's the only way I can describe wow. it. That's like the third person to say classy. Yeah, that and respectful. I just love classy, respectful, educated, experienced, whatever you want to call it, type people. And, and, and that, Eric and, and I uh, had that was a, that was Anoki, Mark. That was that was him. I mean, when he walked in a room, now he's a big guy. You know, he was like six three, six two, six three, six four, whatever he was. Uh, you know, especially you know in Japan, he was a very big guy as far as physical stature. But that's not what it's not what you noticed. Even in Japan, what you noticed is this aura is the only way I can describe it. When he walked into a room, and again, it wasn't intimidating. It wasn't, hey, look at me. He wasn't trying to suck the air out of the room. He just walked in, and you just immediately had respect for him because of the way he carried himself and the way he respected other people. You know, Eric, when I was putting this show together, know that knowing that we were going to do an entire show on the life and career of Antonio Inoki, for a lot of like the younger fans who may not be that familiar with him, I was trying to think of somebody that I could compare him to. And when you look at what he was able to do in his life and career, you know, as a wrestler, as a founder of a company, as a politician, I really could not think of anybody that I could compare him to. I agree, you know, and, and I think Mr. Noki's history I mean, the professional wrestling side of it is what we're all familiar with and very interested in, and rightfully so, because Antonio Noki had such a significant impact on on professional wrestling globally. Um, but his life, the life and times outside of wrestling, I think are just as fascinating. Um, he's really a very unique figure. You know, you talk about politics, Antonio Noki spent, and I don't remember, he was in politics and he got out and he got back in again. But, you know, Antonio Inoki was a very powerful politician in, in Japan. And he was a member, I think it's, I don't know what the term is, but it's, I think it was the equivalent of the, the Senate, the U.S. Senate here in the United States. That was the equivalent of Antonio Inoki's position in Japan. But he's a very, very influential individual. But, you know, again, you look at his history. You know, he took the, the name Antonio from Antonio Roca as, as an homage you know, he had a lot of respect for Antonio Roca, who was a, a technical wrestler. And I think that's what probably um, Antonio Inoki admired so much about Antonio Roca. And I think that probably had some impact on Ant uh, Antonio Inoki's style in the ring. But he's just a, a very, very interesting cat, man. Trained by Ricky Dozon. Ricky Dozon was from North Korea. North Korea and Japan have been like mortal enemies since the beginning of time. They've been invading each other. The history between Korea, North Korea in particular, Korea and Japan is kind of a brutal one. But Antonio Noki was one of the few Japanese politicians that was able to kind of bridge that historical divide that was generations old. A very fascinating guy, man. Fascinating. Eric, what was your opinion of Inoki as an in-ring performer? I, I, I mean, his, his aura, his presence, his stature, I think made everything he did so much more interesting. I loved watching Antonio Inoki wrestle. And a lot of it was because he brought so much tradition and, and honor. Some of it, I think, going back to the beginning of the, you know, the, the Japanese samurai culture 
but he brought so much authenticity and and stature to the ring that by the time the bell rang, you were just in awe of him and not necessarily what he was doing. Now, technically, as a professional wrestler, go back and watch some of his matches with Hulk Hogan, for example. Um, not only would you be surprised at seeing what Hulk Hogan was doing in the ring with Antonio Noki, but Antonio Noki was amazing in the ring and he could go. Who was the cat that he, I saw a clip and I can't remember the guy's name that he just beat the piss out of. The great the Antonio. Huh? The great Antonio. The great Antonio. God, that was fun to watch. Wasn't so great. <laughs> that dumbass decided, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to go into for business for myself. Cut to, where am I? How many times have I been kicked in the face? I can't find my teeth. Somebody help me. <laughs> oh, this you know, guy you, is tough. Yeah, it was fun to watch, man. The other guy, the other guy's name is Antonio. He's pounding on Inoki. You know, he's giving it to him. He's selling for him. He's selling. And then finally, you see Inoki raise his hand. He was not going to take another shot to the back of the head. And then he stood up and just bitch slapped that dude. It was fun. (laughs) You know, you mentioned Ricky Dozen and him being North Korean, and then obviously North Korea and Japan. And then, obviously, uh, a lot of talk lately about collision in Korea. It's amazing to me, Eric, that we did a show not that – I guess it was years ago here on Busted Open about collision in Korea because it was almost a forgotten event. Like, not a lot of people talked about it. There's not a lot of footage about it as well. And it was kind of forgotten until, until recently. But how could it be forgotten? You, you think about an, a wrestling event in North Korea with the attendance combined of the two – nights over 350,000. I mean, why for so long a period, not a lot of people talked about collision in Korea? Well, it was, you know, it was kind of the tree that fell in the forest and nobody heard about it even while it was happening because let's face it, it was North Korea. So there wasn't a lot of press. There wasn't a lot of publicity. Um, no one here in the United States covered it. CNN, Mike Chinoy was was there. I, I had lunch with Mike several times while we were there and Mike Chinoy didn't even really cover it. Um, it wasn't, it was, it was an event that wasn't supposed to be happening. Legally, we were not supposed to be in North Korea. Legally, the entire WCW roster that was there, including me, um, were, were violating U.S. law just by being there. So it just didn't get the, the, the kind of coverage. And unfortunately, the footage, and there was some fantastic footage behind the scenes, footage, obviously, of the event. The event itself was magnificent. I know you've probably seen clips of it, and but being there, you know, in, in that stadium, when you see 150,000 people who were all, or, you know, they were put, they were there to put on a show too, right? That whole event was to impress the world, right? It, it was, yes, it was a wrestling event, but it was a wrestling event that was designed to showcase North Korea and the North Korean people. And as, as, as such, if you go back and you watch those 150, 160,000 people, the majority of them were all part of the show. They had their cards and, you know, they, they tie, I don't even know what that art is called, but, you know, you'd see a dove flying around the stadium and all that was, you know, coordinated with these different cards that the audience had. So they were as much a part of the show as anything else. It was, it was unbelievable. You know, I, I remember sitting in, in downtown Pyongyang and we we're up in the booth with the military, watch the military parades and, you know, I'm sitting up there watching, you know, missiles go by and nuclear warheads. I'm thinking, this is just, this is the stuff you see on TV and you don't think it's real. And here I am, you know, drinking an iced tea, watching it all. It's pretty, it was, the whole thing was just bizarre. Point, 
that's a nuclear warhead. Like, wow. I, I mean, I, I mean, and you see the imagery of, of North Korean soldiers when they're, you know, marching in parade and, you know, everything is so precise and they all look pissed off. You know? And that's, it was there, man, right in front of us. It was a, it was a surreal experience. And, and, and I know, like, back some of the footage, like, most of the fans didn't react to any of the matches. Most of the fans probably didn't even know what was going on until that match with Antonio Inoki and Ric Flair. Like, then you just started to see the passion of the fans come out for Antonio Inoki. Well, and yes, you know, and the North Koreans were familiar with Antonio Inoki primarily because of his relationship with Ricky Dozan. Um, so, you know, it's funny, Ricky Dozan was a hero in Japan. When, you know, he, some people, I guess, credit um, Ricky Dozan for really introducing professional wrestling to Japan. Japan needed a hero back then. Japan was, this is right after World War II, things were different in Japan and they needed a hero. And Ricky Dozan came over from North Korea to Japan and became a, became a star. And I think the, the connection between Ricky Dozan and, and, and Antonio Inoki, even in a closed society like North Korea was and still is, the North Koreans still knew who Ricky, or excuse me, who Antonio Inoki was. Eric, to your knowledge, whose idea was it to do this joint show with New Japan in North Korea? Whose original idea was it? You know, I don't know, Bully. I can only kind of connect a few dots. But at that time, if you go back, there was actually a political party in Japan called the Sports and, Feast, Sports and Peace Party. And I think, I don't know, please don't hold me to this, but I'm guessing that Antonio Noki was very much a part of that political party and that event to kind of show the world, primarily Japanese voters, that there was a ways and a means to kind of resurrect or mend the fences in North Korea. It was a political topic, an important one. Um, and I think that was Antonio Noki's idea to show the world that yes, these two countries, despite their differences, can exist together, cooperate, and stage this amazing event. So I'm, I, I would put a lot of it on Antonio Noki himself. It's just the way he thought. Eric, um, have you ever heard anything that was more over than having your face on currency? <laughs> As Noki's no. face was on the currency, during that time yeah it was well they printed currency because you know, currency is not a hot hot item in korea um so they had to actually print currency especially for this event and yeah having your face on uh, a north korean currency is kind of a big damn deal i mean there's over and then there's really over eric how many times did you did you uh meet antonio Inoki, and how often did you have to do business with him Oh, I've lost count. I mean, once, once Antonio Noki and I kind of uh, were formally introduced to each other and we started doing more and more in Japan, obviously my relationship with Antonio Noki grew. I, I don't want to suggest that Antonio and I were tight and we were real close friends. That, that would not be honest, but we were, um, we were friendly. We were very professional, but how do I describe it? It, it went beyond a formal business relationship into a, a, a deeper relationship, friendship, um, to the point where Antonio Inoki invited my wife and my kids to come over to Japan. Wow. And, and paid for it, by the way, which was not cheap. 
and flew us over first class. And, and we got there and it wasn't just, you know, bring your wife and kids and let's visit. You know, we, they took us up to, you know, an onsen outside of Japan for three or four nights. And it was the most fascinating experience I've ever had. It was one of the more traditional onsens. Onsens are basically out, hot springs, outdoor hot springs, but they're, they're very traditional. Some of them are very, very old ancients where a lot of the ninjas would go and try to heal up after battle took us to a couple of those types of places and helped us really understand the Japanese culture, which is something that I'm, you know, I'm so grateful. My kids have had probably more education about the world and different cultures as a result of my time in professional wrestling and their opportunity to travel, but to really get to understand a culture that is so different from ours here in the United States was at the level that my kids got to experience it and, and me and my wife as well. But man, when you can give, that kind of an experience to your kids, it, it, you, it shapes them for the rest of their life. It shapes the way they feel about other people and cultures. And it's just, a, it was a gift that I'll always be grateful for. Wow. You know, at, that, at Collision, I'm sorry, Mark. Um, at Collision in Korea, uh, with Muhammad Ali being a part of that, and I know that's probably stories as well that you can share about being around Muhammad Ali at that time. I remember for me as a fan, that was the first time I saw Muhammad Ali near Antonio Inoki since the, the fight that they had 20 years earlier. Um, was there any conversations about that? I mean, what, were they apart for that long or were they friendly? No, it's really interesting. And I think one of the reasons why I was able to overcome, because you, the Japanese culture is so different than our culture in, 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 at every level and particularly when it comes to business. And because things deteriorated as badly as they had between, there was a lot of money involved between WCW and New Japan. I thought it highly unlikely I was gonna be able to kind of resurrect that relationship because it was hostile. But one of the things that I think helped really turn a corner is I got a call from Brad Riggins. Brad was kind of like the American liaison. He worked very closely with Masa Saito. And, and Brad Ringens and I have been friends since high school. So we had a long relationship. But Brad called me and said, hey, Mr. Inoki is coming to Denver and he would really like to become reacquainted with Muhammad Ali. They had lost touch. There had not been any conversation subsequent to their fight back in whatever it was, 76, 75, whatever, I can't remember. So they had completely lost touch. And I, the, the year before, had done some business with Muhammad Ali and become Again, I don't want to say friends, but friendly. I could call. I could talk to his wife, you know, Anna. Um, and when Brad called and said, hey, Antonio's going to be in Denver, he would really, really love an opportunity to, to become reacquainted with Muhammad Ali. I called Muhammad's wife and said, here's the situation. And Antonio Noki would love to meet, you know, Muhammad. And here's the dates. And next thing I know, I'm sitting in a hotel room with Denver, in Denver with Muhammad Ali and Antonio Noki for the, seeing each other for the first time since that fight. Wow. And I think me being able to kind of make that happen and facilitate that probably went a long way for Antonio Noki. And it was, you know, a year later that now I'm on a jet flying to Pyongyang, North Korea, sitting next to Muhammad Ali. It's pretty cool. Eric, I, I'm cool. sitting here wow. like perplexed. Did you get a selfie? Did you even realize what you just said? <laughs> You know, you said that Marcus. so casual and nonchalantly, you you brokered a deal to put two of the most famous humans ever 
in the same damn room. And then <laughs> y'all got put together in, in an event that was put together that nowhere on the on the planet could have ever been done. Like that that's the most incredible story I think I was ever told. And you know what? And this is, I, I know, look, it's not fun. Holy shit. Yeah, but Mark, you got to understand something. Eric, I hope I'm not speaking for you right here. When you create a faction like the Aces and Eights, bringing together Muhammad <laughs> Ali. <laughs> By the way, I don't talk about Aces and Eights. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's, you know, it's, oh it's, not fun, it, it's not fun getting older, I have to admit. However, there are certain things about it that I'm becoming more and more grateful for. And one of them is, that, you know, like, an opportunity to talk about this because to tell you the truth, Mark, at the time, I didn't realize, I didn't think it was that big a deal. I picked up the phone, I called Muhammad Ali's wife, I explained the situation, everybody goes, yeah, that'd be fun, let's go do it, I get to go. It was just, you know, it was a bigger deal, because I've you know, i been a fan of Muhammad Ali since I was a little kid. And I'm, I remember as a kid growing up in Detroit with my dad listening to some of Muhammad Ali's fights on the, on the radio, right? And when he was Cassius Clay and and I've always been a huge fan of Muhammad Ali. I've admired him, you know, for a long time. So it was a big deal for me, but I had met Muhammad Ali the year before. I got the, you know, the kind of fanboy thing, got that, check that box. So as far as setting up this meeting, it was like, no, I can do, I can do this. Antonio Nokini's favor. I can just pick up the phone and make that happen. And I didn't appreciate it at the time as much as I do now, or as much as you just did. Now I look back and I go, fuck. I didn't even get a selfie, <laughs> bully. <laughs> but you know, and, and, and this is the, that big a deal at the time. This is like, this is the fan in me because obviously, as a fan, <laughs> which is what I am, you know, I look back at these moments and memories that we discuss on this show as like part of who I am. But like you know, talking to bully, talking to you, Mark, and talking to you, Eric, especially the story that you just shared. I think you guys live in the moment so much that you probably don't understand you know, exactly what is going on at that moment because it's probably just business for you at that time and you probably don't realize it until much later. Like, I, like Bully, you know, in your WrestleMania match, like, did you know as that moment was happening that, you know, people would be talking about it 25 years later? Probably not. Mark, when you talk about that retirement speech with John Cena, that that was going to be the moment that most people bring up about the greatest moment in your career to the point that it... You know, you're wearing the same jacket, you know, during your Hall of Fame speech. And Eric, probably the same thing when you're putting Antonio Inoki and Muhammad Ali in the same room together. Yeah, I, you know, I've said this before. I, I think what for me, I'll speak for myself too, which I can speak for. But when I was in it, you know, when I, when I was in the business and particularly in the 90s, man, I was on a treadmill. I, things were happening so fast that I didn't take time to appreciate the magnitude of any of it. And now I get to. You know, as time has passed and you look back and things have become more important than they were in the moment. But I, I'm, I'm so grateful. It's one of the reasons I wrote a book, man. There's so many, so many things that have happened to me in my life as a result of my career that I'm so incredibly grateful for. Not the least of which is the experience my kids have, has, have had, as I explained. But there's more. And now I get to sit back and I, I, I appreciate it so much more now than I did then. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. 
Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.